You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. Good morning and welcome everyone who is watching us online to all of you that are here in the worship center with us this morning. It is great to be with you here today. Hope you guys had a great Christmas. This is a picture up on the screen of our dog, Casey. Everybody say, aw. There we go. Uh, he is hands dog, down the, the best dog in the world simply because he is our dog. Not to be confused with your dog, who is, I'm sure, the, the, the best dog in the world, simply because he or she is your dog. Casey loves to fetch. He can impressively catch a ball that's thrown high into the air. He loves to have his belly scratched. His tongue sticks out sometimes when he stares at us. Still not sure what that's all about, but, but that happens. Uh, he is, is, he loves to give kisses, and, and I do kiss my dog. Please don't pretend that you don't kiss your dog, because I know that you do. He's energetic, uh, but Casey is generally a mild-tempered dog. And this is a picture up on the screen of our daughter and son-in-law's dog. This is Luna. You can say ah to Luna, too. There we go. Um, she, too, is a very mild-tempered, sweet dog. They both are, until until they get into the same room. Something happens to these two when they get together, and, and, and I've consulted a thesaurus to be able to help me to explain to you, to describe to you what it's like. It's chaos. It's mayhem. It's havoc. It's bedlam. And there's even a little bit of pandemonium that happens when these two get together. For pretty much the whole time that they are together, whether it's an hour or the, the full day, they play hard nonstop and it's funny, and it's messy, and toys are everywhere, and we love it. And then it happens. Luna goes back home, and suddenly it's quiet, and it's calm. And I've heard that it's what it's like to have grandkids visit. After you've sugared them up, you get to send them home to mom and dad. A welcome sense of, of ceasefire fills the air. Casey is knocked out asleep. It's one of those take a deep breath and relax. All is calm. All is bright, silent night, times of peace. So we're talking about peace today, and, and some people, some people in, in, in society, in our world, uh, they, they kind of thrive when things are messy and a little bit out of control, and if you've ever visited student ministries on Wednesday night, uh, things do get a little bit of out of control, and, and if that's something that you like, I want to talk to you after this message is done, because you need to be on the student ministry volunteer team. But what we're going to do is unpack the peace that Jesus Christ offers and the tension for Christ followers that lies in the battle between fixating on the storm or keeping our eyes on Jesus during the storm. And the verse that everything is going to kind of flow from today is found in John 14, 27, and it's Jesus speaking, the last meal that Jesus has experienced, will experience with his disciples on earth has taken place, and he's pouring out all of this rich teaching because he knows that his time has almost come, right? He will soon be arrested and put on trial, and Jesus says this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He promises peace of heart, Right? And what I want to focus on today is a particular time, a story when the disciples desperately needed Jesus' peace. They needed Jesus to bring peace. And so open your Bibles or your devices, whatever you use, to Mark 
chapter 4, Mark's writings about Jesus, he wrote a lot about Jesus' miracles, right? In fact, Mark records more of Jesus' miracles than any other of the Gospels that are written. So here's what's been going on, just a little bit of a backstory. Jesus has been teaching by the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum. He's teaching in parables, and the, and the crowd had grown so big that Jesus had to get into a boat and kind of go out into the shore, out into the water, so that he could address everyone. It's now late in the day, and, and the crowds have dispersed, and, and we can guess that Jesus is pretty tired, he's pretty exhausted, and, and so he suggests to his disciples a boat ride to the other side of the lake. So let's pick it up in verse 36 of Mark chapter 4. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. What, what happened with Jesus is that he, just, he decides, he said to the disciples, we're going to go out, we're going to take the boat, we're going to go across to the other side of the lake. A great windstorm arose, right? And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling with water. This was a real physical storm that the disciples were experiencing, in fact, the boat was filling up with water, and if you've ever been on a lake or a river during a storm, you know that it was probably a pretty scary moment for the disciples. Storms in life are real, right? And these aren't the everyday inconveniences and hassles that we all experience. These are the difficulties that threaten to sink our faith and threaten to shake us to the core. We know what storms are. There are many things that attempt to steal our peace in our lives. A few days ago, I surveyed some friends and I asked them to fill in the blank for this statement. I feel least at peace when? And I received some really great, some really honest, some really raw responses to this. And so they're so good, I'm going to share all of them with you this morning. I feel least at peace when I'm faced with an unexpected expense, whether it be a medical bill or a car repair, when, thing, when there isn't enough money to pay all of the bills. I feel least at peace when I realize I didn't respond well to another person during a stressful moment or a difficult conversation or when I am in conflict with someone and things are left unresolved. I feel least at peace when I'm misunderstood, when I feel a situation is beyond my control or ability to change or to manage. Much of what happens in life is beyond our control, right? That's why someone came up with a serenity prayer. I feel least at peace when I'm not spending time or reading and studying God's word. That's a big one. Or when my circumstances control my mood and my attitude. I feel least at peace when I fail to pray to God and worship and prioritize him first. When the people I care about have not responded to Jesus' love and offer of salvation. I feel least at peace when I try to do it on my own and I take my eyes off from Jesus and rely on my own understanding, and we're going to come back to that one in just a minute. I'm sure that you can relate to uh, one or two of those and, and could fill in the blank with a couple of things yourself this morning on that. But let's return now to the disciples and the storm. Here it is. So here's the verse in Mark 4 that maybe during the storm we don't like to read, that we don't like to think about. The storm is at its peak and the waves are crashing and water is pouring in and Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? If we're to be honest, we'd have to admit something. We'd have to admit that during a storm, 
we're not always convinced that God really has our best interest at heart, right? That, that he knows what's best for us during that storm. God, if you really cared, God, if you really understood, if you really had my best interest at heart, if you really loved me, then surely you would stop this thing from happening that I'm experiencing because don't you know how difficult this is for me, God? We'll pray for anything that will make the storm pass and for peace to pour over us. And that's exactly what the disciples wanted, the storm to cease. And that's what we want during a storm, right? For, for it to stop. And listen, wanting that, wanting the storm to stop is, is very normal. It's very human to want that to end and to want peace. And it's exactly what we want during the storm for it to stop. Here's some of the tension that we talked about a little bit earlier. We live in a broken planet, in a sin-ravaged society, and storms are going to be a part of our lives. Jesus told us this in John 16, 33, that in the world you will have distress and pain and trials. And as we know, Christ was very familiar with suffering. Isaiah 53 says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus understood trials. He understood storms. Everyone walks through difficult experiences in their life. They're inescapable. How's that for a good news message two days after Christmas? Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? The disciples were sure of it, and they were not at peace. All right, so let's begin to dig a little bit deeper here, because what we're going to see is that we cannot put the storm ending on the same plane, on the same level as peace. We think that they mean the same thing. We think the storm ending... Is, is the only way that we can have true peace. But there's the big problem there. What if the storm, the, the storm doesn't usually end when we want it to, right? Or, or the way that we want it to. So can we, as followers of Christ, have peace in the storm? Well, maybe my understanding and, and maybe your understanding of peace has been twisted a little bit, has been tainted by our humanity. See, we tend to look here, at our circumstances, with what is going on right now. We wrestle with what we see with our eyes. It's what Adam and Eve did. It's what the disciples were doing, and it's what we often do too. But what we need to see in this story, though, is that the storm is not the point. The storm is real, and it's terrifying, and the disciples believe that they would not survive, but the story is not about the storm. The story is about who is in the boat with them. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That gives me chills to think that the disciples saw that and said that. Just like the disciples did, and just like you and I do, we often forget who's in the boat with us, and we fix our eyes on the trial. And we wonder where God is. Like somehow, for some reason, in this moment, in my situation, God, you must have fallen asleep. Because God, I don't think that you see what's happening right now to me in my life. Fixating on the trials has never worked. It's never provided real peace, and doing that is directly opposite of what God's word instructs us to do 
during trials. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. The peace of Christ and the presence of Christ are a package deal. Jesus took responsibility for that when he said, my peace I give to you. We cannot have one without the other. There is no presence of Christ, but, but no peace. They're a package deal. They come together. Our responsibility then is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Listen to this. This is great. The Hebrew meaning for the word fixed is the word somok, okay? And it's much deeper than just fix our eyes. It means to lean heavily. It means to fully rest oneself. Do you ever sit in a beanbag chair? I'm talking about those, those humongous ones, half the size of a car type of beanbag chair. You sit down in them and you, you, you sink right in. It's the most comfiest thing to ever sit in in the whole world. And once you're sitting in that beanbag chair, you don't want to get out, right? It's just so comfortable, so nice, so relaxing. And that's the word picture that the Hebrew word somak paints for us. Sitting in the peace of Christ, we don't want to leave that. Not only do we need to fix our eyes, we need to fully lean into Jesus. This is what Jesus is telling us. It's what, as Christ followers, we get to do during a trial, during a storm. It is our privilege. God beckons us, God welcomes us to do that, to lean into him, to rest in him during our trials. What Jesus asked his disciples in that boat that day in the storm is exactly what he is asking us to do during our storms. He's asking, this, he's asking us these words, why are you so afraid? Now, now, Jesus isn't, he didn't say to them, why are you so concerned? Right? He didn't say to them, why are you so nervous? Or, or, or why are, are your palms sweaty? He knew that they were human. He said, why are you fearful? They wanted peace. And, and we want peace. And, and listen, the, the, the peace of Christ is the type of peace that cannot be removed or lost or stolen when our circumstances are dire. For students, this is for you. Students, listen up. It's when your parents begin to talk about divorce. You can still have that peace. It's when mom and dad start talking about possibly moving to another state and leaving everything behind. You can still have that peace. It's, it's when you don't know exactly what your future is going to look like after you graduate from high school. For adults, it's a sudden job loss. Or it's when the, the, the diagnosis is not what we hoped and prayed for. It's experiencing a deep betrayal. We can even have peace in the face of death. The peace that Christ offers is not a peace that we can, we can conjure up on our own, right? We just can't say, just buck up and, and things will be okay. It doesn't work that way. It's not a peace that we can even explain away. In Philippians 4, 7, Paul calls it the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. He's talking about our human understanding. We won't even understand how that peace is flooding in and flowing in from God when it hits our lives. Some of us have known that peace. And some of us are walking in a situation right now in our lives where we really need that peace. So what does this mean practically? 
for us as Christ followers? How do we experience this type of peace? Well, first of all, we have to be in God's word before the storm, during the storm, after the storm. The Bible is not an app that we can kind of consult when, when we're in need or, or when we need a healing or when we're sick in our lives, right? We, we need to know it. We need to study it. It needs to be an everyday part of our lives. How can we know the promises of God? I, I have my doubts that a follower of Christ can know the peace of God without being in the word of God. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 119, how sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. We need to be in God's word. And next, we have to remember who's in the boat with us, who dwells in us. The Holy Spirit is God in spirit form, residing in all born-again believers. The full role of the Holy Spirit, there's not enough time left today to unpack all of that, but here are a few things that the Holy Spirit does in us. Romans 8 says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Acts 1 tells us that the Spirit empowers us to live as followers of Christ. John 14 tells us that the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus in all that he taught. And Galatians 5 tells us that one of the attributes of the Holy Spirit is peace. That's inside of us. We have to remember who's living in us, who dwells inside of us. It's easy to forget who resides in us, though, isn't it? When our minds focus on our circumstances, on our trial, when that's where we fixate ourselves. If we need reminders of who's in the boat with us, here are a couple of things. Post some notes, some encouraging notes around your house, on the mirrors, or, or places that you visit most often, or, or, or in your car. Create a, a wallpaper for your computer screen that every time you open up your computer, when you're going through this trial, you're reminded uh, of what God does, has done for you and, and, and who God is in your life. Journal it. Speak it out loud as many times a day as you need to. In the grocery store, at school, in the dentist's office, wherever. When, when Kelly and I are going through a storm, we say to each other countless times a day, one of us will, will say, eyes on Jesus, and the other one will look back uh, into our eyes and say, eyes on Jesus. We need to be reminded of that. The creator of the universe, the one who promises to never leave us or forsake us, the God who unconditionally loves us, lives in us. He's in that boat with us. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Peace isn't found in the absence of the storm, it's found in the presence of Jesus in the storm. And last, during a storm, we need to remember what God has already done in our lives. When the Israelites crossed the Jordan River to enter the Promised Land, Joshua told one man from each tribe to take a stone from the middle of the river. They took these stones and put them in a pile on the spot where God had dried up the Jordan River and the people crossed safely to the other side. Joshua 4 says, In the future, your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Then you could tell them, This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry, on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so that all the nations of the earth 
might know that the Lord's hand is powerful and so that you might fear the Lord, your God, forever. Think back for a moment when you're going through those trials. God has done some amazing things in your life. He have, maybe have, has performed a miracle of healing in your life or, or delivered you from the bondage of addiction. Or maybe he saved your marriage. Or maybe God has saved your life. If, if he is your Lord today, then he has saved your soul. Dig up some past notes or some journal entries. Remember what Jesus has already done. He didn't forsake you then, and he's not going to forsake you now. One more time, John 14, 27. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this day. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, 2020 has been, um, I guess, a year without a lot of peace in it for a lot of people. Our lives have changed drastically in this last year. We've lost people in our lives. We've had to change lifestyle. It's been a pretty crazy year. But what has remained constant, Lord God, is you. You have not changed. You are still very, very present in our lives, Lord God. So I pray this morning, Father God, that as we step into the last uh, couple of days of 2020, as we look forward to 2021, that more than ever our eyes are focused on you. There will be storms this next year for us. But God, if we keep our eyes on you, if we rest in you, if we lean on you, you're going to walk us through those storms. And Father, for that, we are extremely grateful this morning, Lord God. We love you and we give you praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.